John Calvin's interpretation of Luke 2 in his commentary centers on the providential nature of the events leading to Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. He begins by contextualizing the journey of Joseph and Mary, mandated by the census edict of Augustus Caesar. Calvin sees this as more than mere compliance with a civil order. He views it as a divine orchestration. He argues that while Joseph and Mary's journey may appear as a routine act of civil obedience, it was, in fact, part of a greater divine plan laid out by God. Calvin emphasizes the role of divine providence, rejecting the idea that their travel was a mere coincidence or accident. He insists that even though Joseph and Mary were unaware of the larger divine purpose of their journey, they were being led by God. This perspective aligns with the prophecy in the Old Testament that predicted Bethlehem as the Messiah's birthplace, a detail Calvin accentuates to affirm the fulfillment of divine prophecy. Also, Calvin interprets the Roman edict for the census as an instrument in God's plan. He describes this edict as an oppressive act by a pagan ruler, which paradoxically serves God's purpose. In Calvin's view, what was intended as a political and financial imposition on the Jews was divinely repurposed to bring about the fulfillment of the prophecy and the redemption of God's people. In his commentary, Calvin elaborates on the intersection of human actions and divine will. He suggests that events in human history, which might seem random or forced, are often under the governance of divine providence. This theological perspective asserts Calvin's belief in the omnipotence and omniscience of God, particularly in matters of salvation and the fulfillment of prophecies concerning the Messiah. For Calvin, the narrative of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem is a prime example of how divine providence operates within the framework of human history, guiding events towards the fulfillment of God's salvific plan. Moreover, Calvin delves into the historical and textual intricacies of the census during Jesus' birth, highlighting the challenges of reconciling biblical accounts with historical records. He begins by contextualizing the Roman practice of registration or census, suggesting that for the Jews, this particular census marked a period of intensified oppression. Calvin posits that this was likely the first time the Jews were subjected to such a direct form of Roman control, indicating a significant shift in their political and social circumstances. The commentary then addresses the conflicting historical accounts regarding the timeline and specifics of the census. Calvin indicates the discrepancy in the name of the Roman official overseeing the census, referred to as Serenius or Quirinius. This he attributes to translation differences between Greek and Latin. More challenging, however, is aligning the biblical account with the historical records of Josephus, especially regarding the reign of Archelaus and the governorship of Quirinius in Judea. Calvin notes a problematic 13-year gap between the birth of Christ and the registration under Quirinius, as well as inconsistencies in the dates related to Augustus's life and reign. To reconcile these chronological issues, Calvin suggests that the implementation of the census may have been delayed, possibly due to Jewish resistance and subsequent Roman military intervention. This delay could explain the temporal discrepancies between the biblical narrative and historical records. Furthermore, he speculates that Augustus might have initiated the census during Herod's reign as a means of gradually subjugating the Jews to Roman authority. He theorizes that this could have been a strategic move by Augustus to acclimate a notoriously obstinate population to Roman rule, despite Herod's nominal kingship. Calvin's analysis is a nuanced exploration of the complexities in interpreting ancient texts within their historical context. He acknowledges the difficulties and uncertainties inherent in aligning biblical narratives with historical events, 
demonstrating the intricate process of biblical exegesis in the face of historical and textual ambiguities. In addition, Calvin offers a profound theological reflection on the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. He maintains the poverty and hardship endured by Joseph and Mary, particularly pointed out by their inability to find proper lodging, culminating in Mary giving birth in a stable. Calvin perceives this not merely as an unfortunate predicament, but as a manifestation of the oppressive societal conditions of the time, possibly intensified for those from the royal lineage like Joseph. Calvin portrays Joseph as caught between his concerns for his pregnant wife and the inexorable circumstances dictated by the prevailing authorities. Despite his desire to provide a comfortable setting for Mary's delivery, Joseph finds himself compelled to accept their harsh reality, turning to God in faith and trust. This interplay of human vulnerability and divine trust is a central theme in Calvin's analysis. The crux of Calvin's interpretation lies in the juxtaposition of Jesus' divine nature with his lowly birth. Jesus, though divine, is born in a stable, laid in a manger, an environment far removed from royal or divine expectations. Calvin interprets this as an intentional act of self-abasement, aligning with the Christian doctrine of kenosis, as mentioned in Philippians 2, 7, where Christ is said to have emptied himself by taking on human form. For Calvin, the birth of Jesus in such humble settings is not just a historical event, but carries deep theological significance. It represents the opening of heaven to humanity, not as a temporary refuge, but as a permanent, eternal home. It signifies that through Jesus' humble beginnings, the divine becomes accessible to humanity, initiating the process of redemption. Calvin sees this moment as pivotal in the Christian narrative of salvation, where God's plan for human redemption takes a tangible form. In essence, Jesus' birth in a manger symbolizes the breaking down of barriers between the divine and the human, marking the beginning of humanity's journey towards eternal salvation. This interpretation aligns with Calvin's broader theological views, where every aspect of Christ's life is seen as a step in the grand plan of human redemption. Further, Calvin dives into the profound significance of the shepherds being the first to hear of Christ's birth. This scene, as Calvin interprets, is not just a simple narrative detail, but a profound theological statement about God's methods and the nature of Christ's incarnation. Calvin reiterates the apparent unsuitability of the method by which Christ's birth was revealed. It was a humble announcement made to shepherds at night, far from the expected grandeur and pomp that human wisdom might anticipate for the birth of a Messiah. This choice by God, Calvin contends, stands in stark contrast to the expectations of worldly wisdom. It reflects a recurring theme in Scripture, where God's actions often defy human logic and expectations, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1.25, where what is considered foolishness to God is wiser than human wisdom. This event, Calvin notes, is part of Christ's emptying of himself, Philippians 2.6, a theological concept that implies Christ's glory was concealed but not diminished during his time on earth. Calvin correlates this with the Apostle Paul's teachings, particularly from 1 Corinthians 2, 4, 5, about the gospel being mean in human terms, repeating that true faith is rooted in the power of the Spirit and not in worldly wisdom or glory. Calvin employs the metaphor of a treasure in earthen vessels from 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to illustrate how God purposefully uses modest, unassuming means to convey divine truths. This, he suggests, is a test of the obedience of our faith, challenging believers to look beyond external appearances and worldly status.
In essence, Calvin exhorts believers to embrace this humble path exemplified by the shepherds. Their lowly status in God's plan becomes a tool to subvert worldly pride and to elevate those who seek Christ in simplicity and faith. This, Calvin underlines, is a critical lesson in understanding the nature of the gospel and the means by which God chooses to reveal himself. Besides, Calvin provides a profound interpretation of the biblical narrative where an angel appears to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. He underscores the significance of the glory of the Lord that shone around the shepherds, perceiving it as a divine sign confirming the angel's heavenly origin and authority. Calvin debates that the angel's message about Jesus' birth would have held little weight without this explicit demonstration of God's presence. This divine glory wasn't just a visual marvel. It was a testament to the message's divine origin, ensuring the shepherds understood that they were receiving a communication directly from God. Calvin notes the angel's appearance as extraordinary and filled with majesty. The angel was not in an ordinary form, but was surrounded by the brightness of heavenly glory. This was a deliberate act by God to impact the shepherds powerfully, ensuring that they received the angel's message with the seriousness and reverence it deserved. The awe-inspiring appearance was meant to prepare their hearts and minds to receive a heavenly message. Additionally, Calvin touches upon the shepherd's fear, a reaction that Luke mentions in his account. Calvin interprets this fear as a typical human response to divine encounters. He suggests that God frequently uses fear to humble humans, making them more receptive to his word. This fear is not just a byproduct of the encounter, but serves a divine purpose, to instill reverence and ensure that God's message is received with the appropriate seriousness. In Calvin's view, every aspect of this encounter, the angel's glorious appearance, the divine light, the shepherd's fear, was orchestrated by God to validate the message of Christ's birth. It was a carefully designed divine interaction that emphasized the importance of the message being delivered, ensuring it was received with the utmost reverence and belief. Calvin's interpretation accentuates the depth of God's involvement in communicating his plan and the importance of divine authority in validating spiritual truths. Moreover, Calvin digs into the themes of fear, joy, and the universal nature of salvation through Christ. He begins by addressing the fear experienced by the shepherds upon encountering the divine. Calvin notes that while fear of God can be beneficial for recognizing his majesty, there is also a critical need for comfort to prevent overwhelming dread. He contrasts the reaction of the reprobate, who perceive God solely as a judge and are thus struck down, with those receiving the message of mercy and reconciliation with God. Central to Calvin's interpretation is the angel's announcement of great joy. He affirms that genuine, enduring joy is rooted in reconciliation with God through Christ's grace. This joy starkly contrasts with the fleeting, often deceitful happiness of the ungodly, which is tainted by the stings of conscience and internal strife. In contrast, the joy offered in Christ is profound, capable of overcoming worldly distresses and pains. Furthermore, Calvin asserts the universality of this joyous message. Although initially directed to the shepherds, its implications extend to all people. This universal offer of salvation is grounded in God's promise to Abraham's seed, transcending individual or national boundaries. Calvin laments the widespread unbelief that prevents many from embracing this joy, drawing parallels to the reception of the gospel in his time, where it is universally offered but accepted by few. In addition, Calvin discusses the historical context of the Jews as God's chosen people and the subsequent extension of Christ's peace to all humanity. 
he observes that until Christ's resurrection, the Jews were under a unique covenant. However, with Christ's resurrection, the middle wall of partition is broken down, making the message of peace and joy through Christ applicable to all. Calvin's commentary paints a vivid picture of a universal salvation offer, initially to the Jews and then to all humanity, characterized by deep joy rooted in reconciliation with God through Christ. Further, Calvin provides a rich and nuanced interpretation of the angel's announcement of Christ's birth, focusing on its deep roots in Jewish tradition and scripture. Calvin highlights that the angel's message is not a novel revelation, but is intricately linked to the long-standing promises found in the law and the prophets, familiar to the Jewish audience. The announcement of Jesus' birth in the city of David is a strategic reference, designed to evoke the Jewish expectations of a Messiah who would come from David's lineage, fulfilling the ancient prophecies. Calvin examines the linguistic aspects of the term Saviour, Sota in Greek, contrasting it with its Latin translations. He disputes that the Greek term carries a broader meaning, encompassing a more profound sense of salvation. This observation leads him to appreciate the efforts of previous translators and church fathers in trying to capture the full essence of Christ's role as a Saviour. For Calvin, Christ as the Saviour is not just a title, but an embodiment of comprehensive salvation. The personalization of the angel's message is a significant theme in Calvin's interpretation. He indicates the importance of the pronoun to you, suggesting that the joy and significance of the announcement are deeply personal. This birth is not just a historical event, but a moment of personal salvation for each believer. Besides, Calvin aligns this thought with passages from Isaiah and Zechariah, which maintain a personal relationship between the Messiah and the people. Calvin's interpretation is a blend of respect for scriptural tradition and a personal understanding of salvation. He sees the birth of Christ as a pivotal moment that bridges the Old Testament prophecies with the New Testament's fulfillment, offering a salvation that is both collective and deeply individual. This perspective reflects Calvin's broader theological viewpoints, where salvation history and personal faith are intimately connected. Additionally, Calvin explores the profound significance of Christ's humble birth and its implications for faith. He begins by addressing the potential skepticism that might arise from the Messiah's birth in a manger, a situation seemingly at odds with the grandeur typically associated with a king or savior. The angel's message to the shepherds is crucial here, as it prepares them to witness and believe in this paradox. Calvin points out that this scenario, where the savior of the world is found in a lowly state, is reflective of God's consistent approach in revealing divine truths. He interprets the angel's message as an intentional preparation for the shepherds, enabling them to overcome doubt and embrace the Messiah, despite his unexpected circumstances. This theme, according to Calvin, is a recurring one in God's interactions with humanity, where profound spiritual truths are often presented in simple earthly forms. Drawing parallels with Christian sacraments, Calvin further illustrates this concept. He likens the humble sight of Christ in a manger to the simple elements used in baptism and the Lord's Supper water, bread and wine. These elements, though ordinary, signify deeper spiritual realities, spiritual righteousness, eternal life, and the salvation of the soul. Calvin's interpretation suggests that just as the shepherds were called to recognize and believe in the Savior in a humble setting, Christians are similarly called to find spiritual significance in the simple elements of the sacraments. Concluding his commentary, Calvin reiterates the importance of humility and faith in perceiving Christ's glory.
The shepherd's ability to worship Christ in his humble birth serves as a model for Christians. Calvin argues that no earthly or humble sign should obscure Christ's glory from believers, especially considering his heavenly reign. This perspective calls for a reverence and faith that recognizes Christ's authority and divinity, transcending the humble forms in which he may be revealed. Also, Calvin probes into the significance of the sudden appearance of a host of angels who joined the initial messenger in proclaiming the birth of Christ. Calvin interprets this celestial event as a divine strategy to adorn Jesus with unmatched glory and to offer an overwhelming affirmation of his divine sonship. By presenting a vast company of angels resonating with the same message, God provides a firm foundation for Christian faith, mirroring the legal standard that the testimony of two or three witnesses establishes the certainty of a matter. For Calvin, the angelic declaration serves not only to inform, but to invite all of humanity to acknowledge and participate in the grandeur of this divine revelation. He posits that the unity and harmony in the angels' praise should inspire believers to an equally fervent and unified worship. It is a call for Christians to reflect the same level of concord and devotion displayed by the angels, setting aside any doubt or skepticism. He admonishes that to ignore the powerful testimony of the angels would be tantamount to an act of obstinate rebellion against God himself. Such disbelief disrupts the beautiful harmony that exists between heaven and earth, a harmony initiated by God through the angelic choir and intended to envelop believers in its melody. Calvin repeats that our response to this heavenly message should be one of ignited faith and an overwhelming zeal to offer praises to God. The Song of the Angels, specifically composed to provide believers with content for their own worship, demands a response from those who hear it. Moreover, Calvin elucidates that God, through the angelic hosts, is modeling the unity that should exist within the body of believers. The implicit command is for Christians to join together in a shared belief, echoing the heavenly voices on earth by proclaiming the good news about Christ in a unified and harmonious manner. Through this, the angel's praise becomes not only a declaration, but also an exemplified challenge to the church, to be united in faith and jubilant worship of the one who offers salvation. Furthermore, Calvin focuses on the angel's proclamation that followed the birth of Christ. He underlines that the primary purpose of our redemption is to glorify God, a notion reinforced by Scripture's repeated call to express our gratitude through words and deeds. Our recognition and celebration of God's glory are reflective of the extent to which we have grasped the grace of Christ and His teachings. Calvin delves into the message, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, underscoring its spiritual rather than literal interpretation. He clarifies that the angels are not referencing a peace that is of worldly negotiation or harmony between people, but rather an inner peace that arises from reconciling with God. This peace is found when fears of divine judgment and guilt from sin are lifted from one's conscience. Thus, this peace bears a dual aspect, the peace with God from His forgiveness and grace, and the personal tranquility that individuals feel when they confidently rely on God's promised salvation. With the understanding that life on earth is fraught with challenges and that our existence is marked by struggles, Calvin acknowledges that the phrase, peace on earth, could seem paradoxical. However, he insists that through faith in Christ, it is possible to experience a serene state of mind even in the midst of adversity. This inner calm comes from the steadfast trust in Christ's redeeming work. In addition, Calvin addresses the term, goodwill among men. He criticizes the Vulgate's interpretation, 
which assumes peace is reserved for those who exhibit goodwill, narrowing the accessibility of divine peace. Calvin instead interprets the term as an indication of God's unconditional favor and mercy towards humankind. He contends that the peace heralded by the angels stems from God's generous gift rather than human merit. The message from the angels thus embodies the notion that God's grace is the root of peace and is freely given to humanity, manifesting God's goodwill and ending the discord previously existing between God and mankind. Calvin's final point is that this angelic announcement presents a dual revelation, the advent of God's redemptive plan through Jesus and the subsequent offering of grace and peace to all humans as a result of his goodwill. Further, Calvin discusses the reaction of the shepherds to the angelic proclamation of Christ's birth, which serves as an instructive example of faith and obedience for all believers. When the heavenly host departed, the shepherds did not linger or question the message they received. Instead, they acted decisively and with a sense of urgency, immediately making their way to Bethlehem to see the promised Savior. The shepherds' conduct, as Calvin observes, illustrates the proper response to divine revelation a prompt and unwavering affirmation that transforms into action, as opposed to allowing the word of God to dissipate as soon as it's delivered. The fact that they were not directly commanded to visit the infant Jesus, but inferred the imperative from the angel's message, demonstrates their implicit trust in the divine will and their readiness to obey without explicit instruction. Calvin emphasizes the shepherd's mutual encouragement to undertake the journey to see Christ, accentuating the significance of shared exhortation within the Christian community. This collaborative spirit magnifies the value of collective obedience and the reinforcement of faith that comes from shared commitment to God's will. Most strikingly, Calvin affirms that the shepherds attribute their revelation to the Lord, not merely to the angels, acknowledging the ultimate source of the message. This understanding reinforces the notion that, whether delivered by an angelic being or a human herald, the Word of God possesses the same supreme authority as if God had spoken in an audible voice from heaven. The faithful are therefore called to regard the word of God with reverence and to act upon it with the same seriousness as when receiving a direct command from the Almighty. In sum, Calvin's reflections on the immediate response of the shepherds to the divine announcement serve as a powerful reminder of the Christian's duty to not only heed the word of God, but also to interconnectivity, inspire and sustain one another in the faith. The shepherds set forth a compelling blueprint for believers, to respond swiftly to God's revelations with a faithful heart, to value the authority of God's word, and to willingly follow wherever and whenever God may call. Besides, Calvin dives into the shepherd's encounter with the newborn Jesus, juxtaposing the expected majesty of a promised Messiah with the actual humbleness of his birth. Calvin asserts the disparity between the illustrious king awaited by the people and the infant, Jesus, whose first cradle was a manger in a modest stable. Such stark poverty and apparent insignificance of circumstances could easily have cast doubts on the identity and the proclaimed destiny of Jesus as the deliverer and sovereign of the nation. Despite these incongruities, Calvin admires the shepherds' response. They were neither dissuaded nor did their belief in the revelation waver. Rather than being disenchanted by the scene before them, they were moved to admiration and gave glory to God. Calvin sees this reaction as a testament to the shepherds' deep reverence for the divine, their vision transcended the immediate physical conditions and focused on the spiritual significance of the moment. The shepherds' faith was not shaken because it was firmly rooted in a sense of God's glory, which was vivid to them, and a profound respect for his word was entrenched in their hearts.
their belief was potent enough to surmount the lowly birth and surroundings of Christ. Calvin implies that the experience of the shepherds serves as a vital lesson for all believers. Too often faith can be obstructed or deviated by seemingly insignificant challenges because many fail to fix their gaze firmly on God. Fluctuations in faith happen when the focus shifts from the divine to the worldly, inviting a susceptibility to be tossed to and fro. Calvin concludes that having one thought, a resolute and unwavering belief in God's sure and true testimony, is key to fortifying faith. Such a focus can offer substantial resistance to diverse trials and defend against potential offenses that might lead to doubt. The shepherds exemplify an ideal faith, one that perceives beyond material appearances and conditions grounded in the awe of God's glory and a steadfast commitment to His Word. Additionally, Calvin sheds light on the aftermath of the angelic announcement to the shepherds about the birth of Jesus Christ. He commends the shepherds for their unwavering dedication in relaying the message they received from God. By choosing to share the divine revelation, the shepherds act as secondary angels, reinforcing the truth of the nativity story and thus validating the faith of future believers. Calvin acknowledges that the shepherds' humble background could have undermined their credibility and caused their incredible account to be dismissed as mere fable. Nonetheless, he firmly believes that God, who entrusted them with this message, ensured its success. The miraculous birth announcement had a profound impact, but Calvin notes a discrepancy between the awe it inspired and the subsequent lack of action. He observes that although the news of Jesus' birth spread, inspiring wonder among the people, it failed to elicit a deeper spiritual awakening or move them to actively seek out Christ. This deliberate choice by God to use seemingly insignificant messengers is seen by Calvin as a divine strategy, meant to subvert human arrogance and assess the true metal of faith. In doing so, God demonstrates a preference for the humble and the obedient over those who might be esteemed in the eyes of society. Calvin's interpretation goes further, contemplating the wider implications of the testimony given by the shepherds. He suggests that the primary aim might not have been the immediate conversion or salvation of the listeners. Instead, it served to eliminate any defense of ignorance among the people, ensuring that their lack of response to God's earthly intervention in the form of Jesus' arrival would be indefensible. This commentary by Calvin serves to highlight not just the historical significance of the shepherds' experience, but also the theological and moral responsibility that the nativity narrative places on all who hear it. Also, Calvin indicates the thoughtful nature with which Mary, mother of Jesus, approached the extraordinary events unfolding around her, especially those connected to the divine nature of her son. He maintains her behavior as exemplary, providing Christians with a clear model for encountering and interpreting God's works. Calvin points out two principal reasons why Mary's introspective practice is held up for emulation. Initially, he posits that the meticulous way Mary treasured these experiences was not simply for personal reflection, but with an intention for future proclamation. In observing the angels, the shepherds, and the other miraculous signs, she was compiling an account of God's direct intervention in the world, which would eventually be communicated to others to bolster their faith and understanding of Christ's messianic role. The second reason Calvin outlines is the didactic nature of Mary's reflections. They serve as an instructional guide for the faithful. The act of retaining and mentally engaging with the manifestations of God's power and promises is portrayed as a supreme exercise. To consider these events earnestly, to connect them and realize their cumulative evidence for Christ's divine mission, 
becomes an essential endeavor for any believer. It is through such meditative engagement that faith is nurtured and affirmed. Calvin digs into the linguistic nuances of the phrase, Mary kept all these things, suggesting that the Greek term sumbalain, often translated as to keep or to ponder, involves an active process of collating and assembling individual signs into a coherent and unified testament to God's glory as revealed in Christ. Such mental compilation, he reiterates, allows for a depth of wisdom and understanding that surpasses a superficial acknowledgement of isolated wonders. In essence, Calvin views Mary not just as a passive recipient of God's wonders, but as an active participant in theological reflection. Through her example, he calls Christians to engage in a similar process, to observe, remember, and correlate God's actions in their lives. By doing so, they not only honor God, but also solidify their conviction and find greater meaning and purpose in the unfolding narrative of their faith. This, then, is the crux of Calvin's message on the importance of contemplative practice for a robust Christian life. Last but not least, Calvin offers insightful reflections on the shepherd's reaction to the nativity of Jesus. He observes that the shepherd's spontaneous glorification and praise of God upon visiting the newborn Christ serves as a profound demonstration of their recognition of God's intervention in the world. This sincere act of worship by the shepherds, Calvin suggests, is emblematic of the proper response to divine revelation and stands in sharp contrast to what he perceives as the common indifference or ingratitude exhibited by many in their spiritual lives. Calvin notes that the remarkable event of Christ's humble birth in a stable stirred the shepherds to look beyond their earthly surroundings and to contemplate heavenly things. He postulates that if the birth of Jesus elicited such a profound reaction, then the passion and resurrection of Jesus, being even more significant milestones in the history of salvation, should have a much more powerful and transformative impact on believers. Calvin repeats that these later events in the life of Christ are central to the Christian faith and should compel us to meditate deeply on the implications of Christ's victory over death and his ascension into heaven. He presents the ascension as not merely a singular event, but as a sustained invitation for Christians to direct their minds to spiritual matters. Christ, now seated at the right hand of God, calls believers to set their sights on the realities of the next life while still navigating the trials of their earthly existence. Calvin stresses that the verification of the angelic proclamation to the shepherds serves as a model of true piety. Faith, when properly nurtured by the works of God, aligns itself with the purpose of accentuating God's truth as revealed in Scripture. The consistency between the angel's message and the shepherd's experience exemplifies how divine acts reinforce the veracity of God's word. Consequently, genuine godliness for Calvin is characterized by an unwavering commitment to leverage every action and thought to underline and clarify the truth set forth by God, motivating believers to both internal reflection and external expression of their faith. In conclusion, Calvin explores the providential narrative surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. He contemplates the alignment of historical events with divine prophecy, noting the seemingly coincidental decree from Caesar Augustus that mandated Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem, fulfilling the Old Testament prediction of the Messiah's birthplace. Calvin sees God's unseen hand orchestrating these events, utilizing secular authority to achieve a sacred outcome. Moreover, theologically, Calvin discusses the humility embodied in the circumstances of Jesus' birth, with the Son of God laid in a simple manger. This image exemplifies the paradox of the divine will 
choosing a path that defies human expectations, as witnessed in the announcement of Christ's birth to lowly shepherds. This target audience underscores God's pattern of revealing truths to those of humble status rather than earthly power or prestige. Furthermore, Calvin considers Mary's reflective response as normative for Christians when processing God's mysterious works. Her contemplation of the angel's visitation and the shepherd's report is an exercise in piecing together the evidences of divine intervention. Similarly, the shepherds set an example of immediate faith and actions aligned with the divine message they receive. They visit the Christ child and share their experience, catalyzing a response of praise. Finally, Calvin emphasizes the transformative power of Christ's nativity narrative. The simplicity of the stable scene contrasts sharply with the gravity of salvation history. The shepherds' reaction, coupled with the peace and goodwill toward humanity that the angels proclaim, points to a new dispensation of grace. This divine drama, fully realized in Christ's passion and resurrection, invites believers to maintain an eternal perspective, elevating the significance of the Christmas story beyond a historical event, embodying the beginning of a divine initiative in salvation history.